writing to Timothy uh, to uh, encourage Timothy, to teach Timothy, to quicken Timothy's resolve. And, and one of the things we see coming out over and over again in this second letter to Timothy is we have Paul telling his dear brother uh, that you can do this. You can do this, Timothy. We can do this because he is doing this. This is, this is the message of 2 Timothy. You can do this. Because we are doing this. Because he has done this and is doing this and will do this. This letter is emotional. This letter is personal. This letter is is a man talking to his friends about the importance of relationships. So let's look at it. Let's turn to 2 Timothy Chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 8 through 18. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, we'll begin with verse 8. You'll find that if you're using the Pew Bible on page 1055. Begin with verse 8. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Lord excuse me, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me, and he found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. The word of the Lord. Paul is a seriously wordy guy. He's very wordy. This, uh, Uh, This passage we're looking at today, verses 8 through 12, is one sentence in Greek. Let me teach you a little Greek here. Uh, Greek has a way of structuring sentences so they can become quite long. And Paul is really skilled at that. And this uh, 8 through 12 is one sentence. 
I think it's five sentences maybe in our translation here. So you might even be asking yourself, why, why do people do that? Why, does, why do the people who translate uh, the Greek New Testament into English take something that is one sentence and, and make it into five sentences? Because they love you. That's why they do it. Who wants to read a sentence that long? But here's what happens, and this is where we've got to be careful, and this is where I want to make sure we don't lose our focus. Because when we get to verses 9 through 12, Paul's going to really get going. I mean, he just starts, you know, jamming on his theological guitar, if you will. And it's easy to miss what is happening in this sentence. You see, when you take one sentence and make it multiple sentences, what you inevitably do is take dependent clauses, if you will. For those of you who remember your seventh grade grammar, you take dependent clauses and you elevate them to independent statements. And that actually sets it just a little bit apart from what it's supposed to be doing, which is supporting the main idea. So what is the main idea of this powerful passage? It's verse 8. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel. That's the main imperative. That's the driving idea. Everything else, and we're going to look at it, everything else that Paul does after that is in support of that. The main idea, the key verb, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. This is not new territory for Paul, is it? Right? We've seen Paul do this before. The main thesis of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power unto salvation for all who believe. Or, or take 1 Corinthians. Take, uh, almost the entirety of 1 Corinthians is Paul saying to the church at Corinth, Hey, listen, everything the world tells you is honorable is the opposite of what the gospel tells you is honorable. And everything that the world tells you is shameful is the opposite of what the gospel tells you is shameful. Uh, uh, we proclaim Christ and him crucified. Right? He spends the entire book of 1 Corinthians uh, encouraging the church at Corinth to see uh, the differences between what is honorable and what is shameful. He does the same thing in Philippians and talking about how uh, uh, the, the, the gospel is something to partner towards and something to commit to and to, to not be ashamed of it. So much so that we may think that is exactly what Paul is doing here, that he is saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't be ashamed to believe that Christ came and lived and died and was crucified on a Roman cross and rose again from the dead and has ascended to the Father where he sits at the Father's right hand and he will come again at the end of all days. Don't be ashamed to say that all this happened because of God's great love for you and great love for me who were sinners and who without that we would stand condemned. Don't be ashamed to say that the entire world is ordered toward this great revelation of who God is in Christ and we long for the day of his return. We may be thinking that that is exactly what Paul is saying here to Timothy. And we'd miss it. 
We're so used to hearing that great song, that great tune from Paul, that great melody that we miss. There is a harmony that Paul is also playing here. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Don't miss this. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. I don't think that's an add-on. I don't think that's a throwaway. I think for Paul, he is now starting to unfold for Timothy what is going to be the whole endeavor of this letter, which is that this whole project, this whole great activity of God is relational. It is about together. It is done together. He's already done this. Right? We saw this last week when, when Paul was talking about Timothy and he mentions Timothy's mother and his grandmother. He's already telling to Timothy, God has already been putting people in your life who have been part of your great walk of faith, who've been part of you understanding who you are. He's already been talking about uh, this togetherness. But he's going to begin to now unpack this in terms of exhorting Timothy to, uh, to stand unashamed. And he's telling him to stand unashamed, and he's doing it in relationship language. And I'm even more convinced that this is right, because look how he operationally defines not being ashamed. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel. Share. Um, a co-suffer. Uh, the word, incidentally, the word Paul uses here, this co-suffering, you don't find it anywhere else. You don't find it anywhere else outside of Paul. You don't find this word uh, in, in, in other uh, texts from the time period. Paul is making up a word here. Co-suffer. Paul doesn't say this. Paul doesn't say, don't be ashamed suffer for the gospel, which is good and which is fine and which is right and which is well, but that's not what he's saying here. Don't be ashamed. Co-suffer. Together. Together. In Christ. Through us. Together. Share in the suffering. This is the main idea of this really long sentence. So as we get to go now through verses 9 through 12, we're going to uh, uh, look at some of these amazing statements. I want you to not lose sight of everything that Paul says in verses 9 through 12. He does so to quicken Timothy to recognize uh, and accept that he should stay with Paul and suffer with him, that there should be a togetherness that continues. All of it is in service to co-suffer. Stand with me. So let's look a little bit at 9 through 12 here. There's a whole lot in these verses. We're not going to come anywhere near plumbing the depths of what Paul is saying. 
Here's what I want us to do. I want us to hold on to the rhetorical argument. I want us to hold on to the main, uh, the main holds, if you will. I want us to uh, recognize that Paul is driving Timothy to join him and not being ashamed that he is in prison, which, by the way, is not a small task to ask someone in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was very simple. If things were going well for you, the gods blessed you and held you in favor. If things were going poorly, the gods had cursed you and you were out of their favor. Your crop came in, blessed. Your crop failed, cursed. You had children, blessed. You were barren, cursed. You, you had means for travel and leisure, blessed. You were a slave, cursed. You were free, blessed. You were in chains, cursed. That's how the ancient world viewed everything. The quality of your life was directly related to if the gods liked you. We are not that different than the ancient world in this. How much do we look at something and go, you know what, things are really coming together for me. Blessed. Or, wow, look what's happening in their life. Cursed. Uh, uh, look at the expansion and look at the, uh, uh, the success of this enterprise. God's favor. And look at how it's struggling. Hmm, what have they done wrong? We struggle with this. The ancient world struggled with this. And so when Paul was in prison, it was always a problem. Because how could Paul be in prison if he was doing what he was supposed to do? This is the ancient concept. Every time Paul's in prison, he has to tell people it's okay. Because if, if, uh, if God is this great God of the universe, right, if, if he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, if the nations will bring their wealth to honor him, how is it his apostle can uh, barely uh, sustain and is in prison alone? How can the emissary of the great king of kings be in prison? Of course, what we miss is that the great king of kings was homeless most of his life, was mocked, was shamed, and was crucified. Christ wasn't crucified despite being God the Son. Christ was crucified because he is God the Son. Paul is in prison not despite being a follower of Jesus. Paul is in prison because he is a follower of Jesus. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he is getting ready to just unleash some uh, huge theological statements, he's doing this within this entire goal of saying, man, I need you to change how you see things about what is honorable and what is shameful, what means to have God's favor, and what means to have his judgment. So we're going to look at this, and, and, and I, want you to, I want you to hold on to how many times 
Paul tells us, tells Timothy, that it's not you, it's him. It's not you, it's him. That's what I want you to hear. There's so much here, but just grab every time. Grab this. So let's begin. Um, uh, we'll back up a little bit. Let's start in verse 8. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. We haven't even gotten to verse 9 yet. And Paul has already told us how this whole thing is going to happen. Relying on the power of God. He has saved us. And so we're clear. He has saved us from himself in judgment. I was teaching at Marquette University a few years ago, and uh, I was teaching a New Testament class, and we were walking through uh, Paul, and we were walking through Romans, which is the best thing about teaching theology at a college, is that you can assign readings in the Gospels and in the letters, make them study it for a test, and bring it back. At least you know you have a captive audience. And I was teaching this, and one student uh, raised her hand, and she said, "Uh, Professor, what exactly are we saved from? You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) I mean, is that... Finally, a reason I went into student loan debt to get my degree, right, for this moment. And I was able to say, he's saved us from himself in judgment because of our sin and our disobedience we will stand before god who will say i am holy and you are not unless he saves us from that judgment right this is what paul is talking about right this is for he has saved relying on his power he has saved He has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. His power. He saves. He calls. We contribute nothing, right? Timothy, you're worried if you can do this. You're worried if you're up to it. You're worried if you have what it takes to sort of hand on the tradition of the work that I've been doing. Here's the the thing, Timothy. You don't have it in you unless it's God. He has saved us. He has called us. Not according to our works. According to his purpose, his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. And just in case you miss this, Timothy, of how little you contribute, who was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time was even counted, you, Timothy, me, Paul, you all who follow Christ, before time was even counted, this whole thing was put in motion. Because you contribute nothing. It is all God's work. It is all God's work. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. 
Paul didn't go on LinkedIn and get a job. He didn't network. He didn't know someone who knew someone that knew there was an opening. Look what it says. Like, so the whole thing begins with this great cosmic work of God, right, who saves us and calls us and his purpose and his gift, right, which comes in Christ Jesus, who's made evident when Christ appears. And then Paul starts to narrow it down to talk about his role. And notice when he gets down to his role, he said, and I was appointed. I was chosen before time began, not because of anything I had done. I was appointed to be the herald, the apostle, and the teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. I suffer these things, Paul says, because it is not of shame. I suffer these things because this is all part of the great design of the one who chose me before the beginning of time. This is all part of the great design of the one who appeared and revealed who he is in Christ. This is all part of the great design of what God is doing. So that's why I suffer these things. But remember, he's doing this to tell Timothy, suffer with me. He's doing this to tell Timothy, this is why you need to continue to be with me because this happens together. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted me to that day. Because I know whom I have believed. Not what I have believed. Because I know whom I have believed. It's relational, friends. It's always relational. Christ in us, us with each other, through Christ, it's always relational. One of my favorite stories from church history, story of the... uh, uh, Bishop of um, uh, the Bishop Polycarp. He was an early bishop of the church. He had actually studied under John the Apostle. And he, uh, he lived well into his 80s. And he lived during a time where there was heavy persecution of the church. And, and uh, there was a, a big movement sort of in the city where he was serving, and it had been decided that Polycarp himself was now time to be put to death. So the, the powers that be, like they went, they arrested Polycarp, brought him down from his house, put him on a cart, and then they uh, took him into the arena. And the arena was full of people, right, just jeering, um, uh, at, 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 uh, uh, insults at this, at this elderly man, just, uh, you know, point all kinds of shame upon him. And as he comes in, uh, the proconsul, the head of the Roman government, um, says to him, that he has been charged with uh, atheism. Because Polycarp, from the Roman viewpoint, was an atheist. He denied the gods. So uh, he lays this charge upon him. And, And it's interesting because I think the ancient charge of atheism there hasn't changed today. You may not call it atheism. That may not be the charge leveled against Christians today. But it's pretty similar There's not a lot of difference between the ancient world and today's world when it comes to the gods of the society. The big difference is they just anthropomorphize them. That's the big difference. They had a particular figure they viewed as the god of war and a particular figure they viewed as the god of uh, love, a particular figure that they viewed as the god of wisdom, a particular figure that was the, the god of weather, if you will, of the climate. That's all. They just anthropomorphized them. We still have these same gods. 
We have these ideas of how war should be. These ideas of how love should be. These ideas of how the environment should be. Right? And if you don't worship to these gods, right, you're an atheist. It's not really that much difference. So Polycarp is brought before uh, the proconsul, and the proconsul says to him, I have soldiers who can kill you. I have wild beasts who can kill you. And I can set you on fire. I can do all this to you. Unless you simply acknowledge the gods. I'll spare you all this shame. Crowds are cheering. The, uh, the power of society is in its full might. And then Polycarp, this 86-year-old man, says, For 86 years, I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. Why would I blaspheme my king who has saved me? For 86 years, I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. Why would I blaspheme this king who has saved me? Polycarp died that day, but in his death, the church united stronger together to share in his suffering. And this is Paul to Timothy. I want this for you. Join me. Suffer with me. Identify with me as I identify with Christ. Identify with me as I identify with Christ. Together, Timothy, you can do this. Because we can do this. Because he is doing this through us together. Hold on to the pattern, verse 13, of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Together, 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 through him, through him, through him. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, we, um, we sometimes get this picture of Paul, right? This man, this bastion of strength, this great patriarch who set the world on fire, right? We get this picture of this guy by himself. You know, traveling alone, shipwrecked at times, uh, uh, in prison alone, standing before magistrates alone, sort of this uh, uh, passion of, of strength and resolve, all the way to the executioner's craft. We get this picture of a gladiator, if you will, standing in the arena. Problem is, that's not the picture Paul paints. That's not at all how Paul presents himself. Paul never presents himself as this guy, you know, alone standing against the tide of the world proclaiming Christ. He never presents himself that way. It's always relational 
with Paul. Paul Paul laments when his friends reject him. Paul uh, rejoices when his friends remember him. Paul constantly writes to his churches to uh, be together, be together, be one together. Be one with me. Come visit me. And we get to the end of this letter in 2 Timothy. Paul's talking about, hey, send so-and-so to me. I miss so-and-so. It's always relational with Paul because Paul understands that there's something beautiful in being chosen. There's something beautiful in someone saying, I'm with you. We get this. We know this. Like when, when we're kids, you know, being picked on a team, right? Or not picked. Or at middle school years, like when everything is about which group do you belong to. Or as we get through high school, which college will choose me? Which employer will choose me? Big and small. Uh, last Christmas, I was uh, running errands, right? Uh, buying gifts, you know, getting uh, inflatables for the front yard, doing what I do, you know, on Christmas. And it was cold. So, uh, I uh, decided uh, I needed a, a grande peppermint latte, as you do. Right? And, you know, and uh, so I, I'm in a different part of the area, so I go to a Starbucks I don't usually go to. And I walk into that Starbucks, there's a lot of hustle, there's a little bit of bustle, it's busy. Right? I walk in, and I'm in line, and all of a sudden I hear, hey, the usual? So I kind of look around. And then I, I make eye contact with the guy who makes the coffee. Barista? I don't... The guy who makes the coffee. <laughs> and, and, and he looks at me and he says, Hey, the usual? I have no idea who this guy is. I have never been in this Starbucks before. So I'm thinking, this is embarrassing, right? I start having that, that, that conversation your mind can have that argument with itself that can, like, take place in a nanosecond, but it's a full dialogue. So I start having this conversation in my head. I was like, I don't know this guy. This guy, this is embarrassing. He thinks I'm somebody else. He thinks I'm someone who has a usual. I'd like to be someone who has a usual. He seems to like me. He wants to do something for me. Let's light this firecracker and see where it goes. Hey, the usual... You bet. <laughs> and now I realize the Christian thing to do in that moment would have been to say, oh, I'm sorry. I think you have me confused with someone. But I'm feeling chosen, right? I'm feeling accepted. Right? And so, so you know, uh, uh, I, you know I, I affirm that I want the usual. I'm now, now, granted, I'm in line still. Like, this is a long line. So about the next seven minutes is one of the most terrifying moments of my suburban life. I start thinking to myself, what if the guy, who is the real guy with the usual, walks in that door? What's going to happen then? Even worse, what if the guy, who's the real guy with the usual, comes through that door, and I think he's ugly. 
right? Then I have a real self-esteem problem that's going to start to develop. Right. So I start having this moment of panic, and I'm trying to make no eye contact with the coffee maker because I don't want him to all of a sudden study and realize, ooh, no, I got that wrong. Right? So I'm making no eye contact. I'm like, I'm just going up there, I sort of hand the money. Yeah, this is great. It's busy. Christmas time. And, you know, I get, the, uh, I, uh, I get my drink. Now, remember, I was cold. It was winter. I wanted a hot grande peppermint latte. God's judgment came upon me in that moment (laughs) because I was given some cold herbal drink that was made out of grass or something like that. I mean, it it was absolutely disgusting. I've never been back because that's now my usual and I can't have that. But don't you see what I'm getting at? Like, Like, just that simple moment of someone saying, hey, I'm with you. I know what you need. And there's something there. There's something powerful, something we need in that. And so did Paul. So did Paul. Paul didn't understand serving the gospel as some solo endeavor. Paul's not telling Timothy that not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord is something you do by yourself. Paul is telling us that, that, Timothy, you do this with me and with others. You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. And we don't know who Phygelus and Hermogenes are. Paul did. Whoever they were, they were someone important enough that Paul mentions that they hurt him, that they deserted him. They were, uh, they were both uh, individuals who at some point in time had said to Paul, I'm with you, and now have said, I'm not. We don't know why. We don't, we don't know now if they just sort of thought, you know what, this whole Christ thing isn't really my gig. We don't know if they had just said to him, you know, we have a changing priorities. We don't know if they said, you know, you're in prison and we just don't think that's something we want. We don't know. All we know is that at some point, Phygelus and Hermogenes had said to Paul, I choose you, and then said, I don't. And it hurt. They weren't alone. Paul says all those in the province of Asia had left him. Well, not all. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, I love this. Look at this. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. He searched hard for me and found me. Is there anything more different between deserted me 
and searched for me. Here we have all these people saying, no, Paul, I'm not going to stand with you. And we have Onesiphorus saying, I want to find you. I want to find you. I'm going to find with you, and I'm going to stand with you because you're standing for Christ. And I'm going to bring comfort to you because you're standing for Christ. I'm going to stand with you because you're standing for Christ. You want to know what not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord looks like? It looks like this. Stand with those who are standing for Christ. That's what it looks like. You're in school and, and there's some kid who is making some sort of stance because that's their faith, you know, and everyone is mocking them for it. What do you do? You stand with that kid. You're at work, and they're talking about this quote that was on the news or, or uh, you know, on a blog that was given from some Christian ethicist, and they're just blasting that quote. You have two choices. You can either just go diligently back to your work, or you can stand with that guy. You can take the social pain of belonging to a church who stands for the gospel and believes that it is the power unto salvation for those who believe, or you cannot. You want to know what standing unashamed looks like? You stand with the people who are standing for the gospel. That's what it looks like. You stand with them with your time. You stand with them with your money. You stand with them with your voice. That is not being ashamed of the gospel. And that's as hard today as it was hard in the ancient world, unless... We're doing it together in Christ. Because that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. You can do this. Because we can do this in Christ together. He has been doing it, will do it, is doing it. You can. You can do missions. We can do missions because he stands for missions. You can tell people about who Christ is. We can tell people about who Christ is because he is telling people about who he is. You can help the poor and the disenfranchised. Uh, We can help the poor and the disenfranchised because I'm telling you, God stands for the poor and the disenfranchised. And when he is working through us together, you can do this. You can stand. We can stand because he is. This is our story, friends. This is the great love story. I choose you. You choose me. Because he chose each and every one of us to be together. It was inevitable. We are his together. Whatever may come. And there's no shame in that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I don't understand how before time even began you put all this in motion. I don't understand how before time even began you chose each of us to be yours for your work. I don't understand how, in your great wisdom, you you chose that to happen as something we do together. I don't understand, but I know you did. I know you have never done us any wrong. Lord, it's so easy. 
It's so easy to think of our work as something we do alone. We do work alone, and then, Lord, we wonder why it didn't work. Because that's never been your design. Your design is for us to stand with each other, together, in you. That's what it means to be a church, Father. Help us understand that. Help us understand that in Christ alone we stand. It is in your name.